0: Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. You might have noticed that there are some things that are very trendy, and one of those things right now is TikTok, and the financial world, or people who purport themselves to be in the financial world, have not forgotten about TikTok. There are all kinds of trends and exciting things that are being talked about on TikTok, some of which, as we'll discuss today, are really not very... uh, wise, uh, to say the least. And let's just say that they are not uh, well advised, some of which really don't work the way that they are described. So I thought maybe we would go through a couple of them just to at least give you my thoughts on these things. Should it be the case that you have heard of them? If you haven't heard about them, then, you know, I guess let this be your your weird introduction. Then you don't need to go learning about them in the future. But there are really four trends on TikTok that I want to talk about because these are, they're getting sort of a lot of attention, at least now or in the recent past. So the first one is what's called maximum premium insurance, MPI, maximum premium insurance. And the second is somewhat linked to maximum premium insurance or MPI. And that is this whole idea that basically 401ks are like a hoax and you shouldn't be using them. Next, there's a whole crew of people out there who purport to believe or or to think that You can use trusts, uh, and if you put property or businesses in the trust and you pay no taxes, nobody pays any taxes, you escape the taxes. Uh, And then finally, there's just so much information that's just wrong about using LLCs and then the ability to take deductions for business, you know, like, some sort of special deduction for your LLC. So let's take these from the top. All right, MPI. What is MPI? Well, in broad terms, and, and this is not to like sort of dive into the the intricate ins and outs of these products because they're very, very uh, complex products, and they are that, products that are sold by life insurance companies. That's the first thing to understand. These are products that are sold by life insurance companies. And basically what they say, in essence, is that you can make investments in a life insurance contract, investments being paid in the form of premiums on the life insurance contract. Those premiums, of course, net of expenses, broker's fees, and uh, the cost of insurance then would accumulate within a fund. You That fund can be invested in something like some, you know, The stock market index, like the S&P 500, it has a cap and it has a floor to it. This is not really a new concept. This sort of concept exists in a lot of insurance products. But the cap is relatively high, I'd say. Um, I've seen some where it's like 10%. You could could go up to 10% if the market goes up 10%. You're good if it goes up to 11, then you're capped at 10. But then it has a zero percent floor, so to speak, and uh, you know what you're told is that like, well, you'll never lose money because you can't go below zero. If the market goes below zero, you know you have this floor. And then what they claim to say is that this uh, account will accumulate, or maybe it has some some interest component to it. You know, it's going to compound interest. So. Then in the future, when you're good and ready to retire, for example, you can draw money out of um, this policy. And and in some instances, you can draw money out of a life insurance policy already and receive the money tax-free. It's sort of like you're getting the money back as a return on your investment. But it also, on a lot of life insurance policies, you can borrow the money if it has a cash value. Uh, if the if the if the contract will allow for it, you can borrow the money, and then you take the money and you owe the money back to the insurance company plus interest, by the way. Um, and ultimately, the idea is, if you don't pay off the loan, then when you die, the death benefit on the contract uh, gets offset with the amount of money that you owe the insurance company. Of course, if the death benefit isn't big enough to cover all that you own when you die, then uh, there's still money left over, and that could be a claim, for example, against your estate. But Uh, So let's sort of break down some of these components. All right, so you you come into this contract and you put a bunch of money into it. Well, why would the insurance company want you to give them a bunch of money? Is it because they're just being super nice and they're going to give you a ton of money back? Well. um, no, they're not super nice. And in the sense that they just want to give you a bunch of free money, they're in the business of making their own money. And so what they do is they take the premiums and they are going to, it's almost like you're putting the money in an account. If you, if you think of it that way, it's just an, it's an account at the insurance company, kind of like a bank account. And then the insurance company is going to deduct from that account, the cost that they have to pay the broker who sold you the product in order to incentivize that person to sell it to you to begin with. And then they're going to take out the cost of the insurance. That is, how much does do you have to pay them to give you the promise that they are going to pay you the death benefit on the insurance contract when you die in the future? So you got to pay that cost. It's not free. That's not like just built in. It's like... It's got to get paid. And then, of course, they have all sorts of other fees that apply, you know, fees on the investment management of, you know, whatever stock index you pick, uh, fees on the management of the contract, uh, administrative costs. So all of these things add up to costs. So then you start getting into some of these claims about the product. So, for example, can the product ever go below zero? Well, if you're very narrowly focused on the terms that apply to the investment fund, Quote unquote, that's in that uh, product, then the answer would be no, right? Because the investment fund's not supposed to go below zero, or the, the investment growth or, or drop is not supposed to go below zero, even if the market goes below zero. But you're already paying all these fees, and the fees can be very, very high. So, of course, the answer is that on a net basis, when you take everything into consideration, you absolutely can go below zero on these investments. And a lot of these products are really quite new, but there were other type. Similar products, not too far off of what these are, um, that have existed for several decades. And anybody who's been familiar with those sorts of products will know that they're either totally paid up because substantial amounts of money has been has been shoveled into the product, or they're not fully paid up, and substantial amounts of money need to be paid in now because the cost of insurance goes up as you get older, not down as you get older. And that cost of insurance has to be paid out of this special account. Then. Really, what they're asking you to do is to to buy a derivative contract. That's, in essence, what this is. So let me sort of explain that. So you're giving money to the insurance company. They're not super nice people. They're, they're in the business of making money. And what they're agreeing to do is to pay you a, a certain amount of money And that certain amount of money is tied to the performance of some other thing. In this case, say, the stock market or an index. Well, you're not actually invested in the stock market. They're just going to pay you based on what the, the stock market performance has been with these caps and floors. That is a derivative contract. Okay. Anytime somebody is agreeing to pay you something, some amount of money that's derived from some third, some other indicator, okay, some outside indicator, that's a derivative contract. So query whether the person that's selling these products, these brokers or agents are, say, experts in derivative contracts and query whether the people buying the product themselves are experts in derivative contracts. The chances are not good. Then you get to this whole loan idea. The idea is you take the loan out, that funds your retirement, then when you die, it gets paid off with the death benefit, no harm, no foul, right? Sounds good. And it gets paid off tax-free because the death benefit When you receive the death benefit on life insurance, generally speaking, with some exceptions, of course, uh, is tax-free. Well, think about that. You're taking a loan out. Interest is accruing on the loan. So you owe the life insurance money back. And in fact, that interest, that accrued interest plus the principal that hasn't been paid back is going to get covered by the death benefit. But you're paying for the death benefit as well. And you're paying over the course of your whole lifetime. So, in fact, it's like you're insuring the insurance company against the cost of the loan that they're gonna give you. So, you're really almost like double paying for the cost of that loan because you have to pay the insurance component in the contract. This cost of insurance is real and it can be very expensive, aside from the uh, broker's fees can be very expensive. And if you're ever pitched one of these products and you're trying to figure out, well, what are the broker's fees? Because they're not always very clear and they don't always want to come out with it. They'll give you a Performa and the Performa will tell you, uh, say in like the first few years, if you took all your money back out how much you would lose, okay, there's what's called a surrender charge. And basically that surrender charge is the brokerage fee. And so you can kind of back into the number if if the broker or agent is not all that forthcoming, which is very common. They're often not very forthcoming about what they're getting paid in order to sell you the product. And if you have to pay someone to literally sell your product to other people, it could be that it's not an amazing product. That's Let's just say that. And if you have to pay somebody a very high fee, which is quite typical, you know, maybe it's not the world's greatest product, like it's being marketed. And I think that's true of these MPI contracts for what it's worth. Just one person's opinion. It's not really legal or financial advice. It's just one humble person's opinion from what I've heard from TikTok. Um, Okay, so... The, the next one is is you hear on TikTok some people saying that, well, 401ks are they're a hoax and they were set up for super rich executives and not just normal people like us. And so therefore, you should not use your, your money to put it into a 401k and get your employer matching. Instead, you should take that money and oftentimes put it into an insurance contract or some other product that this person is trying to sell. Well, first of all, 401ks are definitely not a hoax. They've been around for a long time. They're not going anywhere. They've been, um, the the rules surrounding 401ks have been modified and amended and rethought and thought over again. And there are extensive regulations and extensive IRS guidance on these types of accounts. I'm saying 401ks is sort of a catch-all of like employer-sponsored retirement accounts. These are not a hoax. And these are actually excellent savings vehicles from the perspective that you can put money in. The money go, can go in, and it's not taxed. You know, it, it's it's an, what's called an elective deferral. It gets taken off off the wages that are going to be reported to you for tax purposes, and then your employer is putting money in in addition to that. Well, that's like free money, and basically, because you're you're getting to put in money on a ta- on a pre-tax basis, so it's not included in your tax base when when the, when the employer is trying to withhold taxes on your pay, paycheck. So you're putting it in pre-tax. It's as though the federal government is underwriting whatever portion of that money would have been subject to tax and just giving it to you. So if your tax rate, say, is 20%, let's just say that. It's 20% and you put in $100, where it's as if the federal government is giving you $20 to contribute to the 401k because had you taken that money for yourself and then invested it, you would have gotten 80. You would have gotten the 100 minus the 20 in tax. Left with 80, you'd have had 80 to invest. But instead, the federal government is saying, no, 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 you can put the 100 in. We'll chip in the 20. So you put the 80, we'll chip in the 20. You don't have to pay us that 20 in tax. Of course, when you reach retirement age uh, for purposes of, of these retirement Account rules, which is a little too complex to go into right now. Um, yes, yeah, so you have to take the money out and somebody has to pay tax on that account if it is a, a non-Roth account. Okay. But it could be set up as a Roth account. Many 401k plans permit Roth 401k accounts. So what happens in that case? In that case, what you're trading on is you're saying to the federal government, look, it's super nice of you to give me the extra 20 bucks, but I don't want that. I'm going to put in the 80 into an account and the money in that account can grow tax-free. So nobody pays tax on it as it's growing. And then when I'm good and ready to take the money out, it'll come out to me tax-free as well. That's a, a Roth account. So you you sort of have both options. Those are really pretty good options. And for the vast, vast majority of people, I'd say in sort of uh, middle income to upper middle income strata, that that's almost a no brainer. You you know, in my mind, just because of the math, you like how many times does the federal government just give you the percentage of the tax that you would pay on the money and just let you invest it instead of giving it to the Department of Treasury? I would say not very often. So it's a great it's a great tool. It's definitely not a hoax and I I if you're hearing any of that, or if you're hearing for the first time now that people on TikTok are saying that it is a hoax and you shouldn't do that, uh, I think they're totally wrong. Again, just one person's opinion. The second or the third thing that you hear on TikTok frequently of late are people suggesting that you could put a business or streams of income off of a business into a trust and then nobody pays tax on that income. Well, there's a very, very, very small shred, I'd say, of truth in the income tax rules for trust that is literally so small and so attenuated and complex to get to that I promise you, In 99.9% of cases uh, or some very, very high percent of cases, it does not apply to you or any of these people that are talking about it on TikTok. It's just a complete misconstruing of the rules. Let me tell you what really happens. If you put in your business into a trust or you push a stream of income into a trust and you think that you're not gonna get taxed on that income, you're in for a very rude awakening in the form of one of two rules. One are what are called the grantor trust rules. And these rules say, If you create a trust and you retain certain controls over the trust or you're a beneficiary of the trust or your spouse is a beneficiary of the trust, we will pretend as a society that you still own everything in the trust and therefore you pay tax on all the income that's derived from that trust. Those are the grantor trust rules. So, if you put your business into a trust and you think that now all of a sudden you're not going to have to pay tax on the income of that business, that's very unlikely. Even if you have avoided the grantor trust rules, it makes the trust a quote unquote non grantor trust. You know, very creative, I know, but there's grantor trusts and non grantor trusts. A non grantor trust, guess what? Is its own taxpayer and it actually pays tax at the highest tax rates at a very low threshold. It's somewhere around $13,000 of income, and it pays tax at the the maximum uh, tax rates for federal taxes. And if it then instead distributes that income out to its beneficiaries, the beneficiaries have to pay tax on that income as if they had received it during the year. So or as if they had earned it during the year. So somebody always has to pay the tax. It's it's what's called the conduit system of taxation with these trusts, if it's a non-grantor trust. If it's a grantor trust, the grantor being the person who created the trust or put money into the trust or put the business in the trust, that person has to pay the tax. And if it's a non-grantor trust, either the trust or the beneficiary of the trust are going to pay tax on the income of the trust. So no, if you use a trust to try to shelter income, uh, it's not going to work. There's another another, uh, uh, principle that comes into play, and that is a court doctrine called the assignment of income doctrine. So if I have a stream of income and I just give that income to somebody else, I cannot avoid paying the income tax on that stream of income. So if I'm getting a stream of income from my business and I just take that money and put it into a trust and think that now I don't have to pay tax on that income, not so fast. Assignment of income rules say that I will still have to pay income on that i'll have to pay tax on that income even if i put it into the trust and i literally have no legal right to to pull it back in order to write the check to the federal government so that's not a great result and that's why i think the people saying that trusts are the way to uh, shelter income from tax are not really understanding how trusts work or certainly not how they're taxed all right the last thing is llcs oh there's so many people on tiktok bless their hearts, who think that LLCs will open up some magic door and permit a bunch of business deductions. Well, that could be true, if the LLC is a a business itself, so if it, you know, if it operates a business, but you don't really need the LLC to get those business deductions, it doesn't necessarily add something that you can't already get on your own. It's called a sole proprietorship. And sole proprietorships are just businesses without any sort of legal entity. And sole proprietorships get to deduct all sorts of business expenses. That's pretty normal. And... Uh, the the addition of an LLC oftentimes doesn't really change the rules. Uh, in fact, some most of the time, if you if you create an LLC and it's a single member LLC, it's what's called a disregarded entity, and that means for federal tax purposes, we just pretend it doesn't exist. For almost every uh, federal tax, we just pretend it does not exist. It only really exists for the most part for Employment tax purposes. So, if the LLC that employs somebody, the uh, the person that's supposed to withhold those employment taxes and pay them to the federal government and file the the forms of the federal government, uh, that's the LLC. But basically, outside of that, the LLC is completely disregarded for tax purposes. You could make an election to make the LLC a corporation. In which case, yeah, corporations could depending on the type of corporation it is, uh, take business deductions. But again, it doesn't necessarily all the time increase the amount of deductions that you can take. And it may not necessarily save you on taxes. And you really have to know what deductions you're trying to get or gain in order to know if uh, changing the form of your business to an LLC of one variety or another will get you there. Let's just say or suffice it to say that the way that these things are described on TikTok is basically that just forming the LLC in and of itself answers all the questions and you're free and clear and you can basically do what you want, deduct everything in the world, wardrobe cars etc and that's just not true things are a lot more nuanced and a lot more complex than that unfortunately but hey i don't write the rules congress writes the rules department of treasury writes the rules the courts write the rules i'm not in control of that you're not in control of that we're all just subject to these rules and we just got to play the game based on the rules that are written and once again the people bless their souls on uh on tiktok that are suggesting that you can just slap in an llc and all of a sudden the rules change for you that's not really accurate so Those are four trends right now in TikTok in the sort of financial slash tax space that are maybe ones to avoid, not advice to be taken, uh, other than maybe as a nice joke uh, to be laughed about at a good cocktail hour. Well, hopefully that was helpful. If anybody had any uh, concerns or questions about the the validity of some of these things that are popping up on the socials, and uh, I really appreciate you spending time, and I look forward to catching up with you next time. Hey listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealth and law. I'll see you there.